Crown of Thorns by Iris Bluefick Chapter 34 Not My Division Will you look at that? Raphael remarked, the first words he'd spoken in half an hour, and passed the cigarette stub back. They were on their fourth or fifth. Six thousand years gone in the blink of an eye. Decades, centuries worth in change, even. Did she ever mention us? He asked, turning those cool, unblinking blue eyes on Dagon. No. Dagon said, taking a drag long and slow enough to draw out the rest of the tiny fire's life, ash and all. He swallowed thoughtfully, spit out the ragged remnants of paper, meeting the archangel's tilted, are-you-kidding-me grin with one of his own. She's a private one, Tanith. Not much for small talk. Not till all this wedding business cropped up, at least. Not till I realized what a complete and utter fool I'd been. I wonder if they know, Raphael said softly, what a fine mess they've made. I don't give a damn, old boy, Dagon said as the music died down. I just get on with things. I've got people to worry about, order to keep, just like you've got your hands full with that lot. Waving one nicotine-stained hand. Do you think you'll go back? What, up there? Raphael asked, waving at Uriel, who had Tanith in tow, and was heading straight for them. Couldn't even if I wanted to, darling. Rules are rules, and our young Adam's a strict one. Now, if you mean back to America, that's another matter. He stood up and folded his arms, business-like. Uriel, my love, the old man here poses an excellent question— are we going back to the good old U.S. of A.? Uriel glanced at Tanith, who'd let go of her hand, and sat down by Dagon. Are you telling me you like it here that much? She asked. You'd stay? Dagon watched Raphael attempt a casual shrug, and then said to Tanith, Where's Crowley gone? Aziraphale was helping Anathema pack up her laptop and speakers, Sophia and Adam were busy helping Madam Tracy and Shadwell back into the cottage. The dancing seemed to have worn them out. I'd like a word with him. Last I saw him, Tanith said, was about five minutes ago. He had a duck under each arm and the other four following him, so it must be their bedtime. Check the shed. We don't have to decide now, Raphael was saying somewhat testily. You're not selling that gorgeous house, Uriel told him. I won't let you. Dagon started to rise, but Tanith briefly stayed him, both hands on his arm. Don't scare him, she said. Today of all days, please don't. He's happy. Dagon kissed the top of her head and got up, brushing sand off his trousers. It would be thoughtless of me not to congratulate him, he said and picked his way up over the rise to where an orderly riot of greenery was just on the edge of spring bloom. He noticed that the roses along the shed wall had got a head start, bright pink and fragrant. The door swung inward at Dagon's touch, rustling the hay-strewn floor. Crowley crouched amid six ducks in various stages of settling down for the evening, handing out wriggling hard-shelled worms and bits of crumbled fruit or d'oeuvres. It's a special occasion, he explained without looking up. So they're allowed, 
Much more of this, my boy, and you'll have a proper small holding, Dagon said. Crowley glanced up, startled, and got to his feet. Sir, he said, tugging hastily at his rolled-up shirt-sleeves and casting about for his jacket, only to find two of the ducks had bedded down on it. Sorry, I hadn't really expected. Uh, that's to say... Dagon clapped him on the shoulder. You hadn't expected me to come. Not so much that, said Crowley sheepishly. His returning of the gesture was both awkward and earnest. It was that, uh, um, the last thing you heard from me was... That memo's still pinned to my wall, I'll have you know. I'd like to think I did. Crowley blinked at him stupidly. I'm sorry? You'd like to think that you what? Learned, Dagon said, and patted Crowley's shoulder again before letting his arm drop back to his side. I won't pretend to understand what you love about this place, but you were the best innovator we ever had. This environment lets you thrive. Crowley rubbed his neck and averted his eyes. You should have sent someone who wanted to come, he said, but I don't think I'd have ever forgiven you if you had. Forgiveness isn't a requirement. Your eternal grudge would have been enough. Crowley squinted at him, his eyes a liquid gold gleam under the artificial light. You sent someone who'd grow, he said, who'd change. How did you know? That's what managers are for, Dagon said, bending down to greet an inquisitive Jemima, who'd got up and started nibbling on his trouser leg. Identifying potential. Crowley leaned against the shed's back wall, fingers splayed against the rough wood. Then you'd have had some inkling, he said, that obedience isn't really my thing. Dagon looked up at him, still stroking Jemima's soft breast feathers with his knuckle. But curiosity is, he said, and dedication after your own fashion, and wonder. Can I ask, said Crowley, baffled, how the likes of you and me got where we are? Dagon tucked Jemima's feet under her, arranged the surrounding straw like a nest. My boy, there never were answers, he said, brushing off his hands. Just questions. Was it better than boredom? Better than staying as we were? Better than burning? Oh, come now. We'll always burn, won't we? but it's a different kind of burning. Crowley lowered his eyes and glared at an inquisitive Lilith, faintly blushing. Well, I'm glad you've got her, he said. That ought to make life more interesting. Listen here, my boy, because I'll only ask once, Dagon said severely, finding it unexpectedly difficult to maintain an even tone. Is the angel good to you? That's not a sensible thing to ask. Not very sensible at all. He's been a right git to me sometimes, and I've been no better to him. Maybe you're after a different question? Dagon sighed and tried again, because, as ever, Crowley had made an excellent point. Could this have gone differently? That is to say, did you have any other choice? Crowley pushed away from the wall and stood up to his full height in front of Dagon, which meant he had to lift his chin to look Dagon in the eye. Only Hasta could do that without additional effort. Blast him. 
but he and Ligger needed a serious talking to. Of course, Crowley said, loads of them, but I chose to ignore all but one. Content, Dagon nodded and clapped him on the shoulder again, and Crowley smiled. You'd better go and find him then, lad. Patience isn't a virtue with that one. Sophia tottered outside and sat down on the front step. The world was spinning. She'd done a terrible job of treating her hangover, and she'd just come from checking on Mandy, who was asleep again in the bedroom with a worried Ivan at her side. Adam joined Sophia on the steps, sighing heavily as he settled beside her. I've got to help Yvonne get her out of there and into the car. She can't stay here tonight. Something tells me they'll be wanting their bed back. What do you think? Sophia regarded him blearily in the falling dusk, rose petals drooping in her eyes. I'm drunk, she said. Like, really, hopelessly drunk. Oh, I want to throw up, but I can't. I might have to drink more just to accomplish that. Do you know what I'm saying? Adam grimaced and put a consoling arm around her, staring down at their feet. I want to know what happened, Sophia said. It wasn't just how much she drank. No, but intoxication gave the guy who possessed her an easy way in, Adam said. What the hell was up with the plant, mister? Why did Aziraphale look so scared? Do you know what holy water does to demons? Never mind, I suppose you don't. Through the muddled haze of her thoughts, Sophia considered this and shuddered. But his face didn't melt or burn up or anything. He just looked really annoyed. Aziraphale transformed the water, Adam said. Unsanctified it, if you like. I don't think Crowley believes in that kind of thing anymore. So, maybe. But humans do, Soph. Humans believe in it a lot. They bless the water. Adam, reality check. We're humans, too. And we don't. Not all humans. But enough humans, he said. Enough for us not to know, for even me not to know, and I'm not about to go testing it on them. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm gonna throw up, Sophia said, twisting sideways into the grass, and did. Adam steadied her until the fit passed. Her mouth tasted awful, but she felt better. I've got to go help Yvonne with Mandy, he said. Will you be okay without me? Yeah, she said, using his arm to lever herself up. I've got to find Crowley. Demons could die. Angels could die. Humans had to go believing things, and they... They'd all die. And Crowley and Aziraphale wouldn't, assuming holy water didn't work on them as long as they didn't believe it would. Maybe that was wishful thinking. She ran straight into Pippa on her way around the side of the cottage, shaking. Dear heart, what's the matter? Pippa asked, rubbing Sophia's bare shoulders. Where's Crowley? She croaked. I've really got to find Crowley. Where's he gone? Pippa frowned at her. He's just come out of the shed. Got the girls all tucked in. Good, 
Sophia said, and stumbled away from Pippa, leaving her high heels behind. Crowley was next to the roses, untangling something from the bush's glossy leaves. Aziraphale was standing a little distance off with her mother and father and Rani. She didn't know where the twins had got off to. They were probably down by the sea with the archangels, trying to see who could drown whom. Didn't really matter. Crowley, we're going to die, she said plaintively. We're all going to die. But as long as nothing stupid or impossible happens, you and Aziraphale won't. Crowley! Crowley wound the string of silver Mardi Gras beads around his wrist and stood up, regarding her with an expression he would have liked to come across as unreadable. But Sophia knew better. Her eyes shimmered too much for him to be all right. That's right, he said hesitantly. Hadn't you worked it out already? Harold was... Harold was really all about Pippa, Sophia said. We weren't that close to him. Crowley stared at the beads on his wrist. It doesn't lessen our loss. Or hers. Sophia felt sudden anger seize her. She wanted to smack him, make him see. You'll still be here when we're all gone, and this planet's just a garden again. She'd hit him all right, sunk the proverbial blade right where it needed to go. What exactly, said Crowley brokenly, in the world would you have me do? I don't know, Sophia sobbed, aware now of just how wet her cheeks were and how difficult it was to speak through the fire in her chest and in her throat. She dug her toes into the grass and fisted her hands in her dress, tugging till the threads hissed. I can only stay, Crowley told her, haltingly, as if human language had grown difficult. Can only keep watch, can only accept loss, can only love. You're such strange creatures, both of you, shedding precious questions like so much dead skin. Not a single one of the sibilants clipped this time, nothing of his snake-like expression spared. Someone else had her by the shoulders as Crowley approached, someone familiar and terrifying, someone whispering, There, there, dear girl, and it's all right. Oh, sure, Crowley sighed. Send her to dreamland. That'll solve everything. I haven't got any better ideas, my dear, and she's really grown quite agitated. Do it quickly. Adam said from somewhere off behind them, Give her here. Sophia tore herself away from Aziraphale and fell forward into Crowley's arms. You, she whispered. Since she trusted you, I'll keep on trusting you too. Crowley kissed her cheek, took the roses from her hair, rocked her to sleep. Why? she sent as she slipped under, her head gone heavy on his shoulder. Because life's too short, he sent back. Yes, Eve. Yes, Sophia. Even mine. Hodges, you say? replied Aziraphale politely. 
they'd only just managed to get Adam and Ivan on the road with their respective somnolent cargoes, and Anathema had also chosen that moment to depart with her husband and two younger daughters in tow. Yes, said Madame Tracy, pleased to have related this news, however trivial. Anathema knew all about the place that burned down, said it used to be a convent, and then I remember that Mary said she'd once been a nun. Such a nice girl. Aziraphale remembered the young woman he and Crowley had hypnotised with sudden clarity. Sister Mary, and Crowley had recalled the Latin only in translation. It's certainly good to know she's, uh, carved out a stable existence for herself. It's not easy being a woman in one's own, and I should know. Look at all these bright young things, what opportunities they've got. My niece Petula's a barrister, you know, and... Look at our Sophia, all grown up and in politics. Mary said she's off on holiday somewhere next month. Somewhere in South America, I think. Hmm, yes, Brazil. Wouldn't that make such a lovely trip, Mr. S? Well, it has stunking great age, it isn't, woman, he muttered, and then turned to Aziraphale. Your young man's wee and your great southern pansy. Best luck to her. Good night, both of you, said Aziraphale wearily. Please give Folkestone my best. Rani was much more difficult to coax out of the door, but Raphael and Joriel convinced her that going out for a late supper with Tanith and Dagon was worth the pursuit. Be responsible, Aziraphale told Raphael. None of your shenanigans. I've had enough for one day, thank you very much. The damage remains to be seen. Raphael gave him a mock salute and closed the door behind all five of them. Aziraphale sagged against the worktop, taking in the abrupt silence. The only sound came from the left-hand sink basin. On closer inspection, he spotted the mouse crouched behind the mug that Adam and Ivan hadn't got around to washing. It was lapping at some errant water droplets, drinking and washing its whiskers by turns. "'Where have you been?' Aziraphale asked. Not so much as a shred of regard for our big day, is it, except for the leftovers? You might have had the decency to attend the ceremony, or to buy us some time by scrambling up Miss Tomlin's arm as a distraction. Granted, you're right, she may not have noticed, not with a demon set in her skull. You're off the hook this time, but a little due diligence wouldn't go amiss. Crowley peered in from the hall just then, half undressed, completely bewildered. It's our wedding night, he said, and yours stood there talking to a mouse. Aziraphale looked him up and down, delectably bare feet, unbuttoned shirt hanging low off his elbows, forearms taut across his abdomen in an attempt to hold up his trousers, and realised that there was indeed something wrong with this picture. He's not just any mouse by now, though, as you're so fond of pointing out. I'll just go back in there and continue starting without you, shall I? Do you know how easy it would have been, Aziraphale said with some difficulty, how frighteningly easy it would have been, at so many different points in time, no less, and I'll declare Barcelona the starting point, for you to have had me if you'd but said the word, if you'd but given any sign at all that you were interested. 
Crowley's mouth fell open a little, but all he managed to say was, Barcelona. Five hundred and twenty-six years, said Aziraphale, out of six thousand and eighteen. That's not a long time to want something, is it, in the grand scheme of things? Uh, I mean, to want someone. But I can't help but think of what you told her, dear boy, what you told both of them, how life isn't nearly long enough, not even yours. I can't help but lament how much time I wasted. But if it took you as long as Tokyo and the Fugu to sort your head out, then it wasn't really time wasted so much as time in which I often dismissed you, out of frustration and, in doing so, hurt you. Crowley stepped from the shadowed hall into the low-lit kitchen, letting his shirt fall. 2002. That's Tokyo. I hoped you'd really start to get the hint. And it turns out you did. 1990 was the first time I let it show at all, but it couldn't be helped. What were the circumstances? Let's call everything from 1900 through at least the 1980s a sequence of failed flirtations on an incredibly grand scale. Because, let's face it, that's a lot of war-related trauma and social progress. It was hard to watch Oscar Wilde do his level best to get at you, but I also wonder if it was hard for you to watch Leonardo da Vinci try to get at me. That's a lungful, isn't it? My point is that both of us had plenty of offers, plenty of chances, plenty of choice, but we weren't having any of it, weren't having any of them. Wouldn't you agree? Crowley had given up on trying to hold his trousers shut. It was distracting. Do you mean to tell me they never once thought of putting you up to it with intent to cause harm? said Aziraphale. Never once handed you the opportunity on a platter? Quite a blow, I'd have thought, tempting one's enemy to the point of seduction. Nah, Crowley said. I never particularly liked the idea, and besides, that's Haster's division, not mine. You should see him pick away at the clergy. Well, no, you needn't look too hard. He added, wincing. It's all over the papers these days. Aziraphale steered Crowley back into the bedroom, seeing to it that the door was firmly shut and locked behind them. Never mind that the guests were gone and the mouse could easily slip in by other means. Shadwell had given him orders. How long, dear boy? he asked. How long did I keep you waiting? Crowley wriggled impatiently out of his trousers and stretched. This time only about twenty minutes, he said, reaching out. Very funny, Aziraphale said, undressing. You know what I mean. Crowley extended both hands this time, drawing Aziraphale down to him. I liked you from the start, he said. I wouldn't have talked to you if I hadn't, and I didn't even care that my joke went down harder than its subject matter. You listened like the girl had done, and you also had the courtesy to make conversation. What made you different was that you didn't leave, didn't run off and cower in the forest and never speak to me again. Shouty voice upstairs be damned. Oh, Crowley, Aziraphale said. 
That isn't funny. That isn't funny in the least. And it's not supposed to be funny, said Crowley breathlessly when they stopped kissing for a little while. It's supposed to be honest. And anyway, I'm not asking you to be funny either. You're funny enough without trying. Take it from me. Aziraphale sighed, stroked him from ribcage to thigh and back up again. Then what are you asking, my dear? And won't you give me an answer? Can't remember the exact moment it started, so I can't help you. What I'm telling you is that I'd have waited forever, Crowley said, and that I never want it to end. Aziraphale twined their fingers and bent closer until their foreheads touched. All else around us will end in time. Make no mistake about that. I know that, Crowley said, but not today at least, and not soon. Should we have come to nothing, our atoms disassembled? Aziraphale paused, dizzied by the thought of it. I'd have loved you, even then. I would have stayed. That's all right, then, Crowley said. But it's a good job we got out in one piece. Which time? asked Aziraphale, finding his eyelids heavy. Every time, Crowley said, yawning. Mm, I think... Neither one of them stayed awake long enough to complete the sentence, and that was all right too. Crown of Thorns will continue in Chapter 35.